Welcome to Genesee Valley Church, where we are loving God, loving people, and loving life. This is the year 2022, and this is the year that you are going to bring change into your life. We are praying and believing that this year helps you develop a heart of God for yourself, for your home, and for your family. We know that you will be blessed by the message and the word that God has for you today. Let us help you answer your call and make this your year. pursue God passionately. This is the year that my marriage gets on fire. This is the year that my home finds harmony. This is the year that I experience financial stability. This is the year that I fulfill the plan of God for my life. Maybe this is the year that I'm going to answer the call. Uh, it is week number two of our series called Family Values. And so I hope that last week was a blessing to you. If you recall, we said last week in regards to family values, one of the things that we look at or define the word value as, as something of uh, a standard or a measure by which we attain to. Maybe it's a moral boundary, and that's all true. But we said last week in regards to the, the context of family values is what do we hold of importance? What's valuable to you? What do you hold value uh, as value to yourself? And so as we began to look at last week, we began to just look at us as individuals to set the foundation and the platform for everything that we begin to address here on out. And we asked the question as, what do you or who do you look to to meet your ultimate needs? Who meets your needs? Who or what do you turn to? And obviously we said that if we ponder on that question long enough, we know internally that the answer should be God as Christians. But unfortunately, we as Christians allow ourselves to become so distracted, so busy, that the reality is, is that very few Christians really make God the center of their needs in their life. And if they would, how much different our lives would look, right? In, in fact, for that matter, when we put our trust in people or things, we put our confidence in things that we cannot predict or control. So ultimately, we understand that there is going to be uh, uh, there's not going to be the outcome that we desire because we can't predict and that which we're putting our hope and our trust in. And so when it comes to today's family values, what we're going to look at in regards to uh, meeting our needs and having the family values we desire, today we're going to begin to look at marriage, the family values of marriage. Now, once again, oftentimes as individuals, it's, it's a slippery slope. And we can find ourselves at times getting into this place and not even realizing it. But oftentimes, we can look to our spouse, our husband or our wife, to be the center of meeting our needs. 
Now, there is a component where that spouse does meet a need, but they are not the end-all, be-all. And because oftentimes we uh, subscribe that to them, we find ourselves being disappointed or being hurt because that person uh, is not meeting my needs. And therefore, it results in disappointment and frustrations. And so therefore, once again, if we're looking to a person to meet our needs, we obviously are not looking to Jesus to meet our needs. And if we are not looking or walking with Jesus, the marriage that we desire will never be the success we want it to be. In fact, for that matter, our marriages as believers will not be successful without walking it out with Jesus. Now, here's the, the, the disillusionment about it is because oftentimes people can have decent marriages. They can have good marriages. Sometimes based upon their, their economic uh, stability, they can do a lot of things and have a lot of stuff. And somehow they think, well, praise the Lord, we've got a good marriage. But when it all settles, they've lived life doing it by themselves. And really it's been things and substance that has given them fulfillment rather than truly experiencing a life in a marriage that God has designed. And so I want to ask you a couple questions or I want you to ask, ask yourself these questions. First of all, have you been disillusioned about marriage? Have you been disillusioned about life? Are you regularly disappointed and you don't experience that inner joy, that inner peace, that inner fulfillment that you desire? Uh, are you wondering, is marriage even possible or can it even work? You might have had hopes and dreams and at one time you believed in the establishment of marriage, but now you're asking the question, can marriage even really work? And if you've said yes to any of these questions, then you've been looking to something or someone else other than Jesus to meet your needs. And I'm telling you, as I was studying this out and as putting this message together, that one hit home. Because I've said to myself, you know, there's times where I was like, I don't find that fulfillment. I mean, sometimes you're looking to ministry and you're like, God, it's not what I want it to look like. God, I'm frustrated. And it just kind of slapped me upside the head. It's like, okay, God, my focus has been on the wrong things. I got to get back to the, the reality and the, 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 the true heart of God and that he desires for me, for him to meet my needs. Amen? All right, so when it comes to marriage, we can talk about the fact that God has a plan and a purpose for marriage, but there is a reality to this life of human beings being married to one another, right? Uh, and the fact of the matter is, is that marriage isn't easy. Anybody ever experienced that? And you say, amen, yeah, brother, marriage ain't... Right, okay. So the reality is, is that in this world, statistically, 52% of marriages end in divorce. That's over half. And because the institution of marriage has continually begun to weaken and, and the statistics show that people are continuing to get divorced, we end up seeing that young people are staying single longer because why get married? 
Mom and dad, they didn't make it. Grandma and grandpa, they didn't make it. Why do I want to do it? So what do they end up doing? They end up just living together. They end up just playing house together. And why is it that they do that? Is it because they have a, a heart that's just like, I'm just going to rebel? No, it's just that there's fear. I've seen it not work. And therefore, if it don't work, I want to have a back door because I've seen the statistics. And the chances are 50-50, we ain't going to make it. Right? So young people are staying single longer. And for that matter, just people are skeptical of marriage altogether. But even though that that's a reality, there is a greater reality. And that is this. That failing marriages and divorce is completely avoidable. I'll say that again for the sake if you didn't hear me right the first time. Failing marriages... And divorce is completely avoidable. Now you might say, well, that's a tough statement. How? It's completely avoidable if each person in the marriage is willing to do marriage according to God's plan. I said, if both people, if both parties are willing to follow God's plan when it comes to marriage... Divorce or a lot of the pitfalls are avoidable. And how many of you know that God has a perfect design for marriage? I said God has a perfect design for marriage. And for that matter, how many of you realize that God is the creator of marriage? He designed it. And so if God is the one that designed marriage, then he is the only one that is qualified to speak to what a good, successful marriage ought to look like. Right? Man, it's getting quiet in here. Are we going to have to have marriage counseling when we get done with all you folks? Man, come on. Yeah, come on. Just smile. It's like, yeah, praise the Lord. We're going to, whoa, pray. Marriage is good here, baby. Come on. You know? <laughs> right? And so once again, God is the only one that is qualified to address the framework of what a successful marriage looks like. And for that matter, you know what the scripture says about God. The Bible says that God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if God is the originator of marriage, then how many of you know the principles of marriage have not changed forever? And there are a lot of times that people want to twist that, uh, uh, make it fit their agenda, fit their lifestyle. But when it comes to marriage... The originator that does not change his principles for marriage and successful marriage has not come to an end or have they changed. Amen? And isn't it sad that oftentimes we're looking to other sources to define what marriage is? I mean, we look to Hollywood. I mean, now again, I'm, I'm, I, I've just, I know this because I've just seen it as of late. And so I don't know their whole story and I don't get into it but you know there's that the Kardashian thing right I, I, they got some kind of show or they did I don't know I don't have cable TV but you know Kanye West was the one husband of the one and but you know he's like number four on the list you know what I mean and and, and I saw an article and she said well the reason why uh, we're going to to be divorced is because I just have come to the conclusion that I have to be happy. I've got to have the marriage that I want. And so it was nothing about compromise. 
And so once again, you look at the tabloids and you go through the social media thingies and uh, TikTok and Twitter and whatever else is out there. I don't have Instagram and uh, you know, I'm a Facebooker, but you know. Anyways, you know what I'm talking about. You go through all that stuff and you have things that will define and tell you this is a healthy marriage. And it's like, really? Who is the one that wore like a, a black mask over their face going to some... Anyways, maybe I watched too much TV, sorry. <laughs> Are you hearing what I'm saying? We have looked to other sources to define what normal healthy, successful relationships are, and they are totally apart and away from God's principles and God's word. And therefore, God does not change. Now, just in the event you're here and you're saying, listen, I'm divorced, or I'm single, or I'm widowed. And so you might be tempted just to sit back and say, well, this don't really apply to me today, Pastor. But how many of you realize that in regards to our relationship with God, he defines it as a marriage. So if we desire an ultimate relationship with God, this is a message that is applicable concerning our relationship with God. So don't just sit there and say, oh, well, this isn't for me today. No, it's for you today. It's for me today. And I'm telling you what, like I said, I've had a lot of aha moments in putting these messages together. It's like, dear God, and starting to discover stuff about myself. And things that I've thought about talking to my wife about. And then I'm like, well, no, then I have to get vulnerable. And then I have to tell her that she's right about some stuff. And it's like, I don't want to do that right now. <laughs> you know? Come on, that's a whole other story. And this isn't about me. This is all about you, all right? So come on, don't look at me that way. All right? <laughs> Amen. God's principles do not fail. In Mark chapter, excuse me, Matthew chapter 7, I believe it is, Jesus gives us a parable. And he says... A wise man listens to the word and does it. And this is what a wise man is like. He is like a man that builds his house upon the rock. And he says, now, there's going to be storms that come. And he said, when the storms come, it's going to beat on your house. It's going to do its best to tear it down. But because you've been a hearer of the word and a doer of the word, and your life has a foundation on the rock, which is Jesus, when the storms come, it will not blow down your house. But he says there is an unwise man that they didn't listen. They didn't take heed. And therefore, they built the house, and it was upon the sand, and the same storms of life came and beat on that house. And it says it fell. But it says it wasn't just a fall. It said it was a great fall. Mm. Come on, how many of you have ever seen those marriages that were just downright dirty at the end? I mean, they fell, and man, it was a great fall. I mean, kids are hurt, kids are messed up, lives are just torn up. Why? Because not only did it fall, it was a great fall. But he says, a wise man builds their house, builds their home, builds their family, builds their marriage on the rock. And he says, now how do you do that? You hear the word. But not only do you hear the word, you got to do the word. And if you do, your marriage will be rock solid and it will not fail. Amen. Now, as I said, it takes both people that are willing to put the work in. How many of you know that when it comes to marriage, it takes work? 
Oh, for those individuals that just think it's going to be rainbows and lollipops and unicorns, I'm telling you what, it is nothing like that. Right? I mean, oh, you think it's going to be so good when you're just dating, but then real life sets in. And it takes work. And it does not stop taking work till the day that you die. The day that you stop working, the marriage and the love relationship begins to die. Because it takes work. And you've heard people say it this way. Well, if it's love, it shouldn't take this much work. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> if it's going to be what you want it to be, it's going to take that much work. Amen. Amen. You know, uh, my dad and I, we live close to each other. And we have these lawn competitions. We're kind of like known in our community. You know, who's got the better lawn and the thickest lawn and the greenest grass and the, you know. Well, so it's kind of a standing joke with, with my dad because they're like, man, your dad kind of, you know, inspired me. But, you know, your dad's like out cutting grass like every other day. I just don't have that kind of time, you know. Well, he's retired. That's why he can do that. My point is, is that to get the lawn that he wants, he's got to put the work in. You don't want the weeds, you got to put the work in. You don't want the bare patches in, you don't want the burnt patches, you got to put the work in. And not only do you got to put the work in, you got to fertilize it and you got to water it. It takes work. Amen. Marriage takes work. Can somebody say amen? All right, so... If God's word reveals to us the principles of successful marriage, and if I can hear the word and be a doer of the word, then I'll find success. Well, those principles, we could simply say it this way, that there are foundational marriage laws that will be put or set into motion. Now, once again, when we talk about laws, there are laws that are all throughout or govern this entire world throughout our life, do they not? I mean, if you go uh, uh, on the top of a building and you jump off, what's going to happen? You're going <laughs> to, it's flat, yeah, you're going to fall. Why are you going to fall? Because it's the, the law of gravity. You can't say that the law doesn't apply to me here. No, it does. If you're human in living in this earth, it applies to you. Well, we're also not natural, just natural, we're spiritual beings. And so therefore, there are spiritual laws that apply to us and affect our lives and will affect our marriages. All right, so to begin to see this in action, we look over here at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. And it's interesting when we look at the scripture because there's so much in there, but we really don't begin to see the depth and the power of this verse and the reality of it is is that it is so simple how many of you know that God does not make his things hard now you might be like Adam says you know the woman you gave me God you know it's your fault <laughs> listen the word works on her the word works on him if you'll do it all right let's look at it here in Genesis chapter 2 it says therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, and they were both naked, and the man and his wife, they were not ashamed. Now, let's just pause there for a moment. This is just extra. Uh, I won't charge you anymore for this particular uh, truth in this scripture here. 
But in a culture and in a world that there is so much confusion about the whole context of gender, of marriage, the, 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 the framework of marriage, right here in this scripture, the answers are, or the questions are answered. First of all, he says, when it comes to a mother and a father. Well, a mother and a father means a man and a woman, does it not? And a man and a woman that are mother and father means that they had a child. So that means that that child only came by one way, right? So in other words, God's design was one way. His principles, his laws were one way in the manner by which a family is designed. And then he goes on to say this. He goes on to say, and a husband... Uh, it says concerning the, the husband, it says he will be joined to his wife. So once again, are you seeing that there is a distinct husband and a distinct wife? So if marriage is going to be successful, it's going to have to be done God's way. And when we live in a culture that says, well, there's so much of God's word that's subjective. No, God is not a God that changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right? And so, therefore, we can take obscure scriptures and say, well, let's twist it and make it say something that it doesn't know. God's very clear concerning his family and concerning marriage. Amen? As I said, that was for free. Don't let that one mess with you. If you think different, if you think different, let's just love it out. Let's talk it out. Let's find out what God says about it, all right? I mean, there's no reason for us to part ways because we have difference of opinions on things, right? Amen? Amen. All right. All right. So he says this. He says to leave his mother and his father. So in regards to this particular scripture, we see that this becomes the law of priority. As a child, your mom and your dad are the single most important people in your life outside of God. But God says, now, when you get married... You leave mom and dad and you cleave to your husband or your wife. Or in other words, what it defined, is defined as is that your husband or your wife becomes the single most important priority of your life, second to Jesus. So the law of priority. How many marriages would this save if we would only learn how to make our spouse the priority? Amen. Now, once again, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about you. <laughs> I'm thinking in my head as I'm saying those words. All right, there's the law of priority. My spouse has to be first in my life or at least second to God. And so, therefore, when mistakes or when problems come, it's when there is misplaced priorities. I said misplaced priorities begin to introduce problems in our life. Now, we see this in God's first family, right? In Adam and Eve. And then we also see something take, taking place, and it's in the heart of God, and we see that God becomes jealous. Well, there is what is called legitimate 
jealousy. In other words, God was a jealous God. We always say, well, God, I thought God was, didn't want us to be jealous. Well, if God doesn't want there to be a righteous jealousness, God said, even my name is jealous. He would contradict himself. Does that make sense? So there is a legitimate jealousy, and it's when something else becomes a priority in your life more so than God. God says, hey, I'm feeling the abandonment. I'm feeling that there's a distance. I love you. I want you. I desire to be first priority in your life. Well, when it comes to a spouse, isn't that what we desire from one another? We just desire to be a priority into the other person's life. And then once again, when that is not being fulfilled, there becomes a legitimate jealousy where we're like, hey, hello, I'm still here. But we also see that there's things that begin to change as the marriage progresses. I mean, first of all, think back to when you were just dating. Oh, wasn't there such a priority? I mean, you, you wanted to be with him or her. And you purposed to set time aside or make time or find time, right? Uh, you, you set other things aside and, and, and pushed them away just so that you could spend time with your significant other, right? Why? Because you made them a priority in your life. And then if there was somebody that would come and maybe threaten that person, you know, they bat their eyes or sweet talk your lady, le legitimate jealousy starts to come up. Who, who do you think you are, buddy? Uh, she's mine. Right? I think some of you have heard this story before. Uh, but my wife and I, we were only married for a few years. And uh, the, golly, we've been married for 20 plus, almost 23 years now. And so anyways, early on, there was this well-known evangelist. If I told you who his name was, many of you would know who he was. He came to Flint, held some crusades. We were going to partner with the, their ministry and help them. And so we went to dinner one time. And, and so we're sitting right across the table from this well-known evangelist. And so as we're sitting there across from him, he's ignoring me. He's not talking to me. I'm trying to talk to him, but he would just kind of ignore me, brush me off. All the while, he's talking to my wife. And he's just talking to her, having conversation. Ha, 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 ha. You know, and so we get home, and I say to my wife, I say, was that kind of weird? And she goes, well, you know, now that you mentioned it, he goes, yeah, it was. I said, you know, he wouldn't even look at me, make eye contact. I mean, you, you, he had your undivided attention. And so he came back around a, a couple months later to do a, a crusade kind of thing. And so we went out to dinner again. And so she and I were sitting at the table. And he walks over to our table, puts his hands on her hands, calls her by name, and says, Kelly, is he treating you right? You talk about some legitimate jealousy rising up. I don't care if you're Billy Graham. I don't care if you're a well-known evangelist. I, she's mine. And I said to him, I said, why don't you and I go for a walk and I'll talk to you about how I've been treating her. Well, so we parted ways. And so he's saying goodbye to everybody. Bye, so-and-so. Bye, Kelly. Never said nothing to me. I'm like, that's right. Don't you come back to my city again, man. You know <laughs> <laughs> talking about legitimate jealousy. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? When, when what you know belongs to you becomes threatened, whether it's God towards you or you towards your spouse, there is something that rises up and says, that's mine. But isn't it interesting that before marriage, everything was prioritized to getting married? I mean, you're dating and 
You're all excited about it, and you're thinking, once we get married, once we get married. Or there's those little issues, but once we get married, it'll be better. Or there's this thing here, but once we get married. Everything seems to be solved once we get married. And then once you get married, well, you know, you go on the honeymoon. Woo, man, this is great. And then, you know, the first year might be the honeymoon, and that's nice. But then something happens. Kids come along. And then when kids come along, there's a shift that takes place in the marriage where the husband typically begins to focus on career and providing for the home, and the mother tends to, and again, culture today is different. Again, I understand that, nothing wrong with that. But again, typically, mom turns her affection and her attention towards the children and, and, and being nurturing to them. And as a result, we begin to start heading different directions or the priorities of our home begins to change as a result of the marriage shift. Does that make sense? All right, so once again, when you think about it, just as marriage oftentimes, oftentimes uh, when we think back to those first few years, marriage never really gets as exciting or as good as those first year or two. My wife, she said this, you know, we lived in a townhouse the first year we were married, and uh, she says, you know, that was like, man, the best year. I'm like, well, sure it was. I mean, we lived in a townhouse. We didn't have to cut grass. We didn't have to do any home renovations. We didn't have kids. We weren't in ministry at the time. I said, so, yeah, we just got to play. Now it's like work, you know. You build this and build that, tear that down. Got kids here and, you know, it's like, yeah. Those first few years, the responsibilities weren't there. But once again, we compare those first few years. It's like, those were the golden years, Right? And we even begin to expect the marriage to begin to decline. You know, you've heard these sayings before. Well, the honeymoon's over. It was good while it lasted. Uh, the old man, old man's yelling at me. Uh, you know, the old ball and chain. She's just nagging again. So what happens? You begin to shift your thinking. You begin to shift your attitude. And then oftentimes you can begin to think that the best days of your marriage is in the past. But if that is the case, that very thought violates the very principle of God. Because God's plan and God's purpose was designed so that marriage would get better every single year. And I can't say that I'm the poster child for that to say that that's what my marriages look like. But boy, I sure want it to be. I don't want to look back in years gone by and say, boy, those were the good old days. Wasn't it great when? No, I want it to be where my life is getting better and better and better with my best friend. Amen? And, and for that matter, oftentimes we said that after the honeymoon's over and the priorities shift, the kids, there, there tends to be an uptick in the statistics of marriage, and that is when the kids leave the house. Marriage kind of gets rekindled. But it's still not like what it was when you first got married. But that is not God's design. God's design was so that we could have a marriage that gets better year after year. And if the reality is, is that the best years or the example of what a good marriage is, is at the very beginning, is almost kind of twisted. Because that's like saying those momentary early uh, days of excitement have set the standard for everything else. 
And in just natural world, how many of you have ever noticed it's always the more experienced that teaches the rookie? It's the older that teaches the younger. But in our twisted thinking, we think, no, it's the person that just got married that is the poster child for a successful marriage. So wrong. Are you getting what I'm trying to say to you? It ought to be the young bucks that get married and say, oh my gosh, I could only dream to have a marriage like yours. How long have you been married? 45 years. Oh, it gets better every day. Amen. You know, you, for, for some of you, you might know who Brother Hagen is. We call him Brother Hagen, Kenneth E. Hagen. He was my, one of my instructors, one of our, our mentors in our life. 83 years old is when he went home to be with the Lord. But he was never bashful. He wasn't crude by any means. He was a very polite man and very uh, uh, guarded in how he talked. But he was, he was very uh, open to say, me and my wife, we still get busy. Now again, like I said, he wasn't being vulgar or graphic or anything. But what he was saying, I'm 80-something years old and we still have a love connection. That don't end, you know, back in your young days. No, he was saying, I still love my wife, she still loves me, and we still desire one another. Come on, does that help somebody? Amen. Amen. Help somebody online. I hope that, let us know, praise the Lord. <laughs> marriages that fail, or marriages fail, they fail because they don't honor God's design. I said the reason why marriages fail is because they don't honor God's design of marriage. And when we don't honor God's design, what do we ultimately do? We begin to train up the next generation to repeat the cycle. Chances are, if you're having distress in your life, in a marriage, your children will inherit those same traits. So let's break the curse. Let's change it up. Let's begin to set a legacy. Amen? All right, so what should our priorities be? Let's wind this up. What should our priorities be? First of all, our priorities should be God. Secondly, our spouse. Then our children. Then our church. Then our extended family. Then our work. Then our hobbies. We ought to have a priority list of what becomes priority one, two, three, and four, and so on and so forth. And our priorities ought to be spent like money. Your money is spent based on a budget. And when you spend your money, your budget is based upon the most important bills that need to be paid. And if you find that I pay bill number one of significance, bill number two of significance, bill number three, and then there's just nothing left over, then what's ever left over just don't get paid. Or in other words, if my fun and my entertainment or my hobby is at the end and I take care of my bills, take care of my priorities, well, then my little fun time, it, it, well, we just don't do that right now. So if we'll do that for money, we must do that with our priorities, assigning priorities in the manner of what's right before God. So if my time, if I only have so much time and my first priority is God, my second priority is my wife, my third priority is my family, if I get to the, the, the third or fourth priority and I just don't have any more time to spend, guess what? You and I ain't going fishing. You and I ain't going and, you know, playing, playing golf. 
Why? Because I've spent my budget and I took care of my priority first. Does that make sense? If we'll do it God's way, we'll have the successful marriage that we desire. Amen? Let's stand. If you're here and you're single, I want you just to begin to set those priorities in your life. If you're a person that says, you know, I'm not married and don't ever desire to be again, set your priorities with God. If you're a person that's been through a divorce and you think, I, I, I want to be married again, then set your priorities. In fact, let me just say it this way. If you're here and, or you're watching online and, and divorce is something that you're contemplating, just weigh out the options. Now listen to my words. Because if you're young enough, you're probably thinking that, well, I'll get married again someday. And if you're going to get married again someday, think about the dating process. Because everybody does this when they go through the dating process. They put the work in, don't they? They look good. They smell good. They lose the weight. They work out. They make time. They spend and invest the time in a new relationship. But if nothing changes in priorities, then once the honeymoon is over, you're still left in the same circumstance. So here's my challenge to you, just to think. If you're willing to invest in somebody that you don't know in the hopes of finding love, then maybe the one that you did love and still love, but it's just gotten hard. If you're going to invest the work in somebody that you don't know down the road, maybe consider investing the work and the time in the person that you do know. And that you actually love, but just thought it was broken. You just might find that God's principles could actually work and turn it around. Amen? I'm not talking about abusive relationships. I'm just talking about in general. Why? Because God loves you more than you can imagine. Amen? Praise God. Did you get anything out of this this morning? Amen. Well, with every head bowed and every eye closed, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father... I just ask that, Lord, you would just cause our hearts to be tender towards you. God, your desire is never to invade our privacy, but, Lord, you do like to get up, in our, get up in our junk, and you like to get up in the middle of it to say, hey, I love you. There's a plan. There's a purpose. There's a design. And so, God, there is a design of marriage that you so want us to experience. God, I pray that you would help us establish family values that would send, set a platform for a legacy of longevity. And so for this, God, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Well, that's it. Is this the year where you're going to see some change? Is this the year where you'll see restoration in your family? Or... Is this the year where you're going to allow God to move in your life? We would love the opportunity to help you in that. If you would like more info or if you have any questions, we want to hear from you. 
to contact us on our social media sites or directly through our website at gvchurch.tv. We are Genesee Valley Church. Loving God, loving people, loving life.